welcome to Strategic Thinking, a new podcast series produced by Gray, Gray and Gray, featuring CEOs, founders, and other senior business leaders discussing what's happening in their industry and how they are strategically guiding their companies for growth. I'm Brian Pierce, Director of Strategic Business Planning for Gray, Gray and Gray, and your host for this series. I'm excited to share with you these conversations with innovative business leaders in New England and beyond, and I'm confident that our listeners will gain many insights that they will find valuable for more rapidly growing their businesses, regardless of their industry. My guest today is Jen Harrington, president of Hatch the Agency, which she founded in 2009. Hatch is a branding agency that makes creativity an accessible tool for brands through our project-based model, our talent platform, and their subscription service. Hatch works with a broad range of clients to creatively define their brand and successfully bring it to life in the market, often when they are at an important inflection point in their business, such as an acquisition, new leadership, expansion into a new market, or a change in the competitive landscape. Jen's clients stay with Hatch because they know that aligning their brand with their business strategy will accelerate growth. Jen is a graduate of Boston University and is very involved in a number of organizations that support the arts and creative community in greater Boston. She is currently the vice chair of the foundation board at Massachusetts College of Art and Design. Jen, thanks for joining me today and I'm excited to hear about the strategic thinking you continue to bring to Hatch and to your clients. And perhaps a great way to start is just to ask, what was the unmet need that you saw when you formed Hatch, the agency, and tell us a little bit more about Hatch? Sure. Um, first of all, I would like to say thank you very much for having me. It's really exciting to be able to participate in this and talk a little bit about us and a little bit about what we've seen in the marketplace, I guess. Um, I started Hatch in 2009, really with um, a strong belief that the sort of traditional agency models that um, a lot of organizations were founded on just kind of weren't working anymore. Um, my background is all agency. I, I did have a very brief stint at an art gallery, but other than that, I have stayed mostly on the agency side. And I had had a lot of experience working with both large and small clients through a more traditional model. Um, and the experience was great. I mean, I loved where I worked and I loved what I did, but there were some places and some challenges um, for clients in working with more traditional agency models. The, probably the leading challenge was that the way that most agencies sell their services is through these very large sort of um, agency of record or retainer based um, arrangements. And for a lot of clients, for a host of different reasons, that's a really difficult model to subscribe to. And when I started Hatch in 2009, I, I really thought that was a problem. And the other challenge, or I really saw it as an opportunity, was that there was a huge influx of very, very senior talent out of traditional agencies and into sort of the freelance or independent market. So all of a sudden there was this sort of great opportunity from my perspective that you had clients who wanted to buy creativity in different ways and wanted to access it in different ways. And the marketplace was filled with talent that was looking to sell itself in different ways. So I sort of founded Hatch to be sort of an arbiter between those two um, and took a little bit of a risk at the beginning, but it turned out okay in the end, I guess. When we talk about making creativity accessible, um, the, the model that we have at Hatch and the range of services that we have 
are really meant to allow uh, clients from all different sort of walks of life, different sizes with different types of projects to access exactly what they need and exactly the way they need it. So we'll talk a little bit more about that, but I think, you know, many successful businesses like yours, Jen, really have been formed at the intersection of, you know, significant changes yeah. in the marketplace, right? In your case, client needs and, and the needs of the talent that you were looking for and uh, yeah. well done for kind of, you know, identifying that and putting together a, a great business that meets in the middle. Uh, and you've acquired really a, a very impressive client list at Hatch, uh, you know, as a result of the model. And, and I guess, um, you know, I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how you position Hatch in an industry that does have, you know, a lot of very big, well-known players and, and certainly that are serving, um, you know, large multinational clients. But yet you seem to find uh, that, that that model is changing a little bit as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been such an interesting time. I find myself a little bit of a student of the industry uh, in a lot of ways. And, and the network of um, agency professionals, at least in the greater Boston area, is really great. So you can really sort of share thoughts and ideas about what's happening. Um, you know, I think there are a few... Um, there are a few uh, factors weighing in for clients and how they go about partnering with agencies. There will always be large brands that need really large uh, agency and agency of record relationships. I think Hatch and a lot of our peers are actually in a slightly different industry. We, we don't really compete with those large agencies. We really compete with um, a, a myriad of independent small and mid-sized agencies, you know, locally and nationally. The, those agencies tend to be very, very specialized. And, um, you know, there's a lot of confusion, I think, even in the marketplace among CMOs and, and our clients about where to even start or, or where to go if you want to find um, agency talent that's not trapped in a holding company or, or a, big, um, a big corporation. So um, from, from my perspective, um, you know, a lot of those um, competitors in an old model would in fact be seen as competitors, but today they actually are partners. And that is really, really core to everything that we do. And I say that because a lot of our clients, and you're right, we have been very fortunate with some very, very big brands and, and big clients. Um, they're looking to build an agency roster. So they're not looking for one agency. They're looking for a myriad of resources who have different expertise and experience that they can curate or bring together in a cross agency you know, team that can work well together. So you know, I, I think part of what has led to our success has been that we're good at what we do, but part of what has um, been very helpful with our long-term relationships with clients is that we're really good and really passionate about partnering with our peers who are also working with those clients. So um, you know, I think that that's been a big shift. Um, and you know, I think a, a number, at least of the people that, that we're working with on a client basis really um, they're asking different questions about those relationships. I mean, I think it used to be a lot about capacity and scale. And I think now the questions are much more about how nimble can you be? How, you know, how flexible can you be? And how well do you work um, independently and, and with other agencies? So it's a shift. Yeah, no, I think that's great, Jen. I, I love the agency roster 
you know, model that you're referring to. And I can see that applying in a number of businesses where collaboration, you know, becomes much more relevant than the old model of pure competition. Uh, and I think, you know, also, as you mentioned in our, our call, as we were talking about this before, you know, the whole area of playing well with others, right? People appreciate it when their vendors, when their, when their service providers do collaborate and work well with others and, and uh, they get the best that the whole team has to bring, uh, even though it may come from diverse uh, sources of, of that. So I think that's, that's really a great model. A lot of it, I guess, is based on being able to access the relevant great talent that you need for a particular project. Yeah. And, and you've done a good job of really tapping into this whole on-demand workforce or gig economy trend. And maybe you can talk a little bit more detail about that and, yeah. and you know, how you see that evolving both in the future, you know, domestically and, and uh, what's the, the talent pool look like, you know, globally. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's core to our business model. And one thing that's a little unusual for an agency our size is that we actually have somebody whose job is talent hmm. um, who helps us to build this independent platform. She sort of, um, she actually has a very uh, storied career nationally in some big agencies and she helps us vet and curate talent, um, you know, from, from pretty much across the country. I would say we don't do as much internationally, but um, but the, the, one of the things that has really changed, and again, I, for some people, I think it's been really difficult for us. It's a huge opportunity is that a lot of the talent that's now out on the independent market is very, very seasoned. Mm -hmm. So they're very, very experienced, which in a more traditional agency model may make them very expensive or they age out, which I don't agree with, but I know there's a lot of conversation in my industry. And when they go out onto the, um, into a freelance or independent um, model, they are, you're bringing to clients the, the caliber of thinking that they may not have been able to get access to otherwise. So we take the curation of talent, the vetting of talent, and then building really, really strong relationships with our talent platform very, very seriously. And we do some things that I think put us in really good standing with our freelance partners. We really think of them as part of our team. We tend to work with them multiple times. The scale of the partnership and the relationship um, is usually sizable. So it's attractive to them. We're not doing these onesie twosie projects with very, very senior you know, partners we pay very quickly. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we, you know, we know that our freelance friends, they don't want to wait 90 days to get paid or whatever. We have actually a, a whole separate pay payment model for our freelance partners. And one of the things that I've been looking into lately um, is ways to offer our freelance partners other benefits that are usually available only through corporations or you know, through agencies, because that independent talent doesn't have access to the same types of things that they might have if they were inside an agency. So I think building those relationships and being really serious and intentional about it is critical to our success, but it's also critical to our partner's success. And that is something that we, you know, as I said, we take really, really seriously and we, and we cultivate, um, you know, we've been cultivating for a long time. That's great. I think the, you know, technology must play a really important part in that too, because, uh, you know, it sounds like you're accessing talent from across the country. So yeah. obviously, 
collaboration tools, technologically uh, advanced, uh, you know, communications really helps, but also, uh, as you mentioned, you know, things like payment and so on, where you've got online apps that really enable uh, your freelance community to record their time and be paid promptly as a result. So talk a little bit about how technology has helped you with the business model, if you could. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, maybe one caveat is we actually don't work on an hourly basis. And that's another thing that I sort of push back okay. against pretty hard because we, we, we actually bill more in a value-based model. And then when we scope relationships with our partners, those are also project-based and we build the scopes together with them. So it's not really based on time. It's more based on, can you do a project Mm-hmm. as scoped in a certain time period, you know, with a certain process and a certain deliverable. Um, and, and we've gotten very, very good at that. Um, it also reduces the liability, I think, on a client's end to think that you're just going to start billing overages by the hour. Um, we don't do that. We scope. And if something is going out of scope, we'll, we'll flag it. Um, in terms of um, technology, you know, um, I think, I mean, there's tons of technology and we use multiple different platforms for project management, for collaborating externally with our clients. Um, I would say that the work that we do tends to be people having to work and think together. That's what usually creates the biggest creative ideas. So any platforms or any ways that we can get people live together, talking and collaborating is definitely a priority. I think, you know, pre-COVID, we have great, we have awesome space uh, over in the South End. And um, it has a lot of open collaborative space and our independent partners actually would go very low tech and choose to come and to be in our space and collaborate and, and really really sort of pin things up on the wall in a very old fashioned way. Um, We've had to work around that a little bit with some of the technologies that are available now through Zoom and Mural and other things that would allow us to to do some of that real-time collaboration. Um, But I would say that the technology leans more on um, our ability to be able to be together and think together. Excellent. Excellent. So I want to take our conversation now more towards the, the subject of brand and, uh, yeah. and a lot of our audience are CEOs and founders like you that are you know, thinking about how do we continue to build and, and solidify and enhance our brand in the marketplace. And I wonder what you know, advice you might have for CEOs that are thinking about that in their own company. You know, it's been an interesting time. I, I don't know if there was some pent up demand inside a lot of companies in 2020, but um, you know, I think there's been a huge resurgence of interest in brand and rebranding um, in the last six months, which is interesting. And a lot of my agency peers, we've sort of been talking about that and why that might be. Um, a lot of times when clients come to us, as you said in the introduction, they're sort of going through some strategic inflection point whatever that may be. And it leads them to the question of saying, what is the role that the brand can play in helping to accelerate, amplify, grow, whatever their goals are, their, their business. And I, I think my number one, you know, most important piece of advice for a CEO would be, that's the most important question, right? How does the brand help the business? I think looking at brand in the absence of that um, can take you down some roads that are probably not as effective 
um, and can be very costly. <laughs> um, the second thing that I find a lot, and I this has come up a number of times in the last six or eight months, is sort of this concept of rebrand. You know, and and I mean, it's an old concept, and we've helped mm -hmm. organizations rebrand for many many years, but. But the concept of rebrand and how much do you take of the equity you've built over time versus how do you pivot and address the fact that the market or the opportunity has changed? And I think that's another strategic branding question that CEOs really need to think about um, before they embark on, on any kind of a, of a branding exercise per se. You hear a lot about the importance of purpose coming into the brand and, and really, you know, employees want to work for a company where their purpose is clear. Customers, in many cases, want to deal with a company where, you know, they yeah. feel alignment to their purpose. How do, how do you see that playing in? I think it's critical. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't remember a time where the marketplace across lots of different stakeholder groups were asking very serious and important questions about the role that a company or a brand is playing as a corporate citizen in the mm -hmm. community around key issues. And we've certainly seen that in the last year. Um, and, and I think what we've definitely seen over the last 10 years is that the brands that invest in being good corporate citizens and having a sense of purpose do better than those who do not focus on that. So there's really good uh, evidence to prove that it is valuable to think about those things and not only because it's the right thing to do, but also because of the business case. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some great examples of some fabulous brands who've really built their entire business model over, uh, you know, around purpose. Um, Warby Parker would definitely mm -hmm. be one. Um, Bombas, I think we talked about that's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've done an incredible an incredible job. Those are more like retail brands. But even in our own backyard, you know, I think Blue Cross has really, and they're a client of ours, I think they've done a great job trying to align their brand with a sense of purpose and, and mission around the things that they believe in. And there are other, you know, organizations that are more service oriented, you know, who have really, um, you know, I think stepped in again over the course of the last year, but prior as well, to show up in the places where they have, um, you know, a, a, a strong belief that they they need to be to support the community and and do good work beyond the products and services that they sell. Yeah, that's great. And there has to be substance behind it, right? You can't just say something in your brand messaging uh, if you don't back it up with the actions of being, as you say, a good corporate citizen. So, I, I, and I think consumers know they're very intelligent. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they know when you're just saying something and it looks like you're just showing up for, you know, a little bit of the halo effect of showing up. And when you actually show up with mission and values and sort of a, a, a purpose and intent um, that is, you know, driven to, um, you know, demonstrate commitment, but also accountability. Um, and, I, and, and anything less than that, I think any brand would be fooling themselves. <laughs> If, right. if they thought they were going to embark on something um, without sort of that that full-fledged commitment. No, I totally agree. And I think that leads us into, you know, this whole discussion on social media, which has obviously become a you know huge factor in, in brand messaging and so on over the last uh, decade or so, and probably 
would love to get your views on the future of social and, you know, how do you see that growing in importance if you do? And, and also how do you make sure that what's out on social, you know, is tying back into this important brand and purpose uh, that, that we were just talking about? Yeah, I mean, um, it's an interesting question and it's definitely an interesting question at this moment in time. Um, you know, I, I think there, we, we've gone so far with social and, and using that platform as a meaningful way to engage directly with um, individuals. Um, we've seen the, the, the positives of that in, in many places. And I think we've also seen that that can be a very powerful tool that can be used um, for um, a lot of not so great purposes mm -hmm. and reasons. Um, so I think um, what I what I see with our clients and, and the brands that we work on is a lot of questions around how to use social to engage in a meaningful meaningful way, to be transparent about what it is that is happening inside their organization, to be responsive, one way or the other when they get feedback or input um, from um, consumers, and you know I think. One of the things that has really come to the fore in a wonderful way, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how this continues to evolve, is to decide how to use social to show up around certain issues, not just when they're happening, but on an ongoing basis. Yeah. You know, we've had a lot of conversations even internally, June, it's Pride Month. We love um, to support um, efforts around LGBTQ rights, but we need to be able to show up and have those conversations in our own social channels, not just during June, but throughout the course of the year. And I think it's that kind of authenticity and having a consistent voice over time that is gonna be really um, important in social, it, it, certainly as it relates to demonstrating um, you know, commitment and action over time, um, as opposed to just showing up on the day, you know, uh, something's happening. Yeah, very important point. And and do you see that then kind of being built in almost to the annual schedule of uh, you know communications and that kind of thing to make sure that it doesn't become just a uh, a one and done kind of comment? Yeah, I mean, I you know one of the new job positions that <laughs> that most of our clients are desperately hiring for is um, someone to head content. And so while you, uh, social media people, you know, people have been in place for a long time. I think there's, there's a, like a, um, there's a heightening, heightened awareness of how important having a strategic approach to content, thought leadership and commentary, um, how, how important that is and how that needs to be managed, you know, to your point and, and planned in a very proactive way, as opposed to just being responsive. So I, I do think that, that those types of positions are really focused on, on planning. Excellent. Well, listen, Jen, uh, thank you very much for sharing these insights. I, I really appreciate your time today. Um, thank you to our listeners. I hope the strategic thinking that we have shared today will help you as you continue to build your brand and grow your businesses. And, and uh, please do join us for all of our upcoming strategic thinking podcasts. So again, thanks again. Have Thank you. Day. Thanks for having me. You too.